Well, for the last nine months, we've been going over the practical training for ministry out there in the arenas of everyday life, because that's where our ministry is. And uh, for the, But for the last three months of this year, we want to go back to some of the foundational principles, because you know what? The, the ministry in everyday life can, can, can just be so parochializing. I love that word. Uh, it, it can so be so um, uh, um, listing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you take your, your, your mind off why you're doing it, you lose your transcendent perspective. And so what we want to do in the last few months here is talk about things that will give us back our transcendent perspective, why we're doing it, um, and who's really doing it. So uh, this morning we're going to talk about sacred knowledge. Now, we love knowing stuff. Let's just admit it. We love knowing stuff. And, and, and it's been like that since we were little, you know, kind of when we held court and told everything we knew and taught other kids. And, and, uh, and uh, there's something about us that loves knowing stuff so much that we tend to really pretend to know more than we know. <laughs> uh, and and um, so um, we just got to recognize the fact that, that from the time we're little kids, it's fun for us to, to be teachers of uh, probably knowledge that came more from us than from God. Watch this. right back, Charlie Brown. I'm going to be taught by Lucy. She says it's a sister's responsibility to educate her younger brother. So she's teaching me. Boy, is she intelligent. Come on, Linus. You see this tree? It is a fir tree. It's called a fir tree because it gives us fur for coats. It also gives us wool in the winter time. I never knew that before. That's fascinating. Do you see this elm tree? It's very little, but it will grow up into a giant tree. An oak. You can tell how old it is by counting its leaves. Wow, then that one must be almost 200 years old. And way up there, those fluffy little white things, those are clouds, they make the wind blow. And way down there, those tiny little black things, those are bugs, they make the grass grow. Is that so? That's right, they run around all day long, tugging and tugging at each tiny seedling until it grows into a great tall blade of grass. Boy, that's amazing. Yep. It's called a hydrant. They grow all over, and no one seems to know just how. A little thing like that gives so much water. Do you see that bird? It's called an eagle. But since it's little, it has another name. A sparrow. On a Christmas and Thanksgiving, we eat them. That's amazing. Way up there, the tiny stars and planets make the rain. And when it's cold and wet. 
upon us. The snow comes up just like the flowers. Are you sure it comes up? It seems like it comes down. Nope, the snow comes up. And the wind blows it around and around so it looks like it's coming down, but actually it comes up out of the ground like grass. Snow comes up, Linus, up. Really? Yep. Lucy, why is Charlie Brown banging his head on that tree? <laughs> to loosen the bark so the tree will go faster. Come along, Linus. Well, it's highly symbolic that the kids were played by adults <laughs> because the tendency doesn't leave us when we grow up. The tendency to pontificate, the tendency to teach more than we know, not only stays with us as adults, but it doesn't even leave us when we become religious. As a matter of fact, many religious leaders try to teach way more than they know. Uh, let's, let's see an example of that. If you turn with me, if you have your scriptures with you, to Matthew chapter 22, you'll see a segment of the religious leadership of uh, Judaism, the Sadducees. And uh, they uh, <laughs> are pretending to know more than they do. On that day, beginning in verse 23, on that day... Some Sadducees. Now, let me explain to you who the Sadducees were in the Jewish uh, society. Sadducees were political and social conservatives. They would have been the Rush Limbaugh's of the past. Uh, but they were also biblical literalists. That's where them and Rush would probably part ways. They were biblical literalists, and that meant they didn't believe in anything that they didn't read in the Old Testament. They didn't believe in the Mishnah with the Jewish, the rabbinic sayings. Um, they, they just, they just stuck to the written page. That's what they saw. Now, how they missed the resurrection, because it says in here, it says, who say there is no resurrection. How they missed the, 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 the resurrection in, in, for example, Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, where it talks about everlasting life, I have no idea. Except I know the tendency, as you do, of people who start out to prove something they believe and won't have it interfered with by what they read in the Bible. Uh, if, if, you, if you start with something and you want the Bible to prove you right, then the tendency is just to kind of go around the passages that kind of don't agree with you. And that tendency is true to today. And so they just avoided, of evidently, the passages of the resurrection. By, by the way, the, re the, the, the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and the way you can tell them apart, is the way you can remember it, is, a, is, that, is that these didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> sure, moan, but you'll never forget it, will you? <laughs> no? All right. So they came to him and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said... If a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise an offspring to his brother. This is the way they did it in the old days to ensure immortality. Since they didn't have a strong uh, belief in the afterlife and they didn't know what that was, then 
then the way they ensured immortality was in this world, a brother would, would uh, uh, have children um, with his dead brother's wife. Now, there were seven brothers with us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh. Have no idea what this woman is doing to these men. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore. Now, I, now, see, they're not, they don't believe in a resurrection. So this is a trick question. Have you ever had somebody ask you stuff about your faith, not looking for an answer, but looking to trick you in order to prove their point? Looking for just enough information so they wouldn't have to believe what you had to say. This happened all the time in college when I went to a, a, a state school. Um, and had a, not, a lot of non-believers there. And, and yeah, when I was a sophomore, I gave my life to Christ. And, and, uh, and so you'd have all these atheists coming up and say, you know, trying to answer, well, now, is God omnipotent? Yeah. Well, then, can God make a rock so heavy even he can't lift it? Well, now, that's a nonsensical question. That's a self-contradictory question. But the point is, they weren't asking about God. They were trying to justify their unbelief, which is exactly what the Sadducees are doing. Now, so in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You're mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, not understanding the scriptures. Now, I want you to see what a giant affront this would have been to these Sadducees because they prided themselves on knowing the scriptures. That was their deal. But Jesus is saying here, knowledge of the content of the scriptures is not the same thing as understanding the scriptures. How many people do you know or how many people have you heard that were purported to know the scriptures backwards and forwards, but didn't believe. You know, somebody comes up, I've had these people repeatedly happen to me. My uncle's a reprobate, lives a reprobate life, but boy, he knows his Bible backward and forward. Well, no, he probably just knows it backwards because <laughs> he may be able to quote some passages that will um, make him uh, feel like he is, again, uh, pon kind of pontificating and, and, and knowing uh, what the content of the Scripture is, but he, he hasn't understood the Scripture. Because you can't understand the Scripture and not know the power of God. Now, that's what Jesus says. Not understanding the Scriptures or the power of God. Now, here's the point. Jesus is saying... In the spiritual realm, there's something that you guys haven't even touched yet because what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand the Scriptures by extrapolating your fleshly life. In other words, by taking what you have known and projecting it into heaven, you're trying to understand something that you... that you uh, There's a different thing altogether. Now, let me say this because I have a number of people ask me from time to time, Okay, when we die, go to heaven. Will, will I know my spouse? Yes, you will. Uh, we're given several indications of that in, in the New Testament, one of which is uh, Luke uh, 16, 23, where, remember, the, uh, the, it wasn't a parable, it was a story of uh, 
the rich man and Lazarus, uh, the poor man, they die. The rich man goes to hell. And the Bible says that he can see over the great chasm between hell and heaven. And as he looks into heaven, he recognizes not only Lazarus, but he recognizes Abraham who holds Lazarus. He knows who he is, even though Abraham has died hundreds of years before. The translation of that is, you'll know everybody in heaven. You'll know all their names. You'll know who they are instantly. But watch this. There is a degree of love in heaven that is so much more intense and intimate than what we have down here that the ranking of love is no longer necessary. Will you love your dead husband or wife for the rest of the, for all eternity? Will you feel close to them? Of course you will. But guess what? You're, we will love everyone to such a degree that it will far excel any kind of love and intimacy we ever had on this earth. We can't fathom it because it's a different genre altogether. Now think of this just for a moment. Think of how inadequate uh, uh, even, even some parts of life are down here to foreshadow other parts of life. Some types of love even to foreshadow other types of love. When you grew up, you had friends. You had pals. Um, I had, I had, you know, we had a neighborhood full of guys, and, and we, did, we did guy stuff, and we put our hats backwards, and we, we made gross sounds and, and <laughs> you know, smelled and, and, you know, hurt each other. You know, it was great. And, and, and we were, as the old song said, rough and ready guys. You know, we, and I loved those guys. I absolutely, we did everything together. I'd have laid my life down at eight years old for any one of them. Loved them. But as much as I loved them, nothing in this experience prepared me for the first pangs of romantic love. There wasn't, I didn't know what was happening to me when that happened. I mean, here she came. I was having hot flashes, throwing up. I mean, I was going to throw up. Here she comes. I'm going to throw up. I thought it was a flu. That was the closest thing I had to, to, to understanding what was going on. I was, I mean, I just, to these guys, you'd chew and you open your mouth and go, look. You know? Over here, you're worried about if something stuck in your teeth. And you're thinking, why am I worried about this? You know, to, to these guys, it was like, who can gross? And over here is, did she look at me? Did she see me? Did, was I okay? Will she think of me? Was she? And I'm thinking, What's, what is up with this? I didn't know. You know why? It was a totally different genre of love. Totally different. Well, watch this. This doesn't prepare us for faith. Faith is a, a totally different arena of love. It's, a, it's, it's, it's something that is heavenly. It is not of the flesh. It, here, when you're loving God, it's, it's like, it's God. You, you've, got, you, it's, you, you've got everything I have because it's all yours anyhow. Anything you say to do, I do. That's it. Walk on me. I don't care. You're God. Now, hopefully you don't have that same type of relationship with people you're not supposed to have. But, but it is so different. Therefore, Jesus said, you can't interpret Scripture simply from your present fleshly realm of knowledge because you can't extrapolate that and get the full understanding. Therefore, what is our work while we're down here? 
Our work is to be converted to the realm of faith while we're down here. Now, we can do that through the work of the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and, 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 and indwells in our lives, the Holy Spirit enables us to grow in, in, a, in a life of faith. It says, as a matter of fact, in John 6, verses 28 and 29, when they asked Jesus, what is the work? Because see, down here, we've got to do stuff to earn love. We've got to do stuff to at least earn approval. That's, that's all our lives. Well, when, when, we, when we get saved, we go, okay, I, okay, now I understand this. I understand this. Now, I can't pay for my own sins, right? Right. So therefore, somebody's got to pay for my sins, right? Right. Well, that's what Jesus did, right? Right. So my, my salvation is a gift, right? Right. And so we accept salvation as a gift from God, His grace, not through works, lest any man should boast. And the first thing we do is, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do for you? Because we have this old life that says in order to get approval, you got to do something for somebody. You got to earn it. Now watch, watch what Jesus says. It says in verse 28, they, they therefore said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Your work is to believe. All year long, we've talked about being salt and light in the community, and very easily that can get translated into a salt, uh, into a works theology. I'm going to go out, I'm going to do a whole bunch of good stuff for God. <laughs> you know what? What we need to do, our real work, is to go out and look for what God is doing and praise it and cooperate with it. That's our real work. That's the work of faith. What we really need to do is to see what is God still in His possession that He has given us. Let me, let me tell you a story. Most people, when they pray for something, in the fleshly mind say, well, I've, I've either got it or I haven't. You know, it's either here or it's not. And so therefore, it's either mine or He didn't give it to me. I want to show you, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the uh, uh, senior pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, years ago, uh, spent years there as a senior pastor, uh, told this story one time. He said, he said, um, he was taking a train, a, a lot of folks did back then, and a porter was carrying his bag, and he was having a conversation with his porter on the way to the, his, uh, his car, and, uh, um, and uh, the porter turned out to be a Christian. He found out if he was a Christian. He was a Christian, and, uh, and he, he asked how it was going for the porter, and the porter says, well, it's kind of slow. We don't get paid till Thursday, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of slow this week. And, and so, Barnhouse said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a 50-cent tip. That was back in the day when they had 50-cent pieces, and, and they really were worth a lot of money. Um, and, and so, man, the guy's eyes kind of lit up, and, he, and Barnhouse took out of his pocket a 50-cent piece said, this is yours. And then put it back in his pocket. Now he looked at the guy, and he says, after they got to the car and, and, and the, the porter was standing there with him, he said, he said, tell me how much money you got. And so the porter takes out all of his money and he counts it up and he says, I got $1.19. And Barnhouse looks at him and said, so uh, let me get this straight. You think I, I'm a liar? And the, and the porter goes, no, I didn't. I didn't say you were a liar. And he said, well, then you think that 
that really this 50 cent piece in my pocket, I don't really intend to give it to yours. It's not yours, it's still mine. And the porter says, no, you said it was mine. And Barnhouse said, then how much money do you have? And the porter said, ah, got $1.69, but 50 cents of it is in your pocket. <laughs> There's the point. There's the point. When you see with the eyes of faith, when you understand the things of God, you understand that the things God promised are already yours. They may not have arrived yet, but they're just as much yours if, as, as if they were in your pocket when they're in his pocket because he's already promised them to you. Now, when you can live that kind of life of faith, when you can have those resources counted on, the world looks totally different, totally different. We are not so um, flesh-reflexed to go out and have to earn everything and to do everything ourselves and, to, and to, 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 to everything's dependent on us and all of our efforts and so on and so forth. Many times, again, that, that God who saved us out of grace, we revert back to, okay, I, I was justified by grace, but i got to earn my own holiness. But I gotta, I gotta, I've got to accomplish the works of God, I've got to put forth all the effort. And we think that's really going to bring us closer to God. That's not sacred knowledge. That's secular thinking. Let me give you another example. One of my first churches, uh, Southern Indiana, Becky and I were just uh, married a couple of years, uh, go down to this church, a little church, a little, uh, cute little church, uh, like 100 people came. And it was like a county seat town. And so everybody knew everybody. And, and for the first few Sundays, I watched this guy come in with his sons to worship. And, uh, you know, a congregation that size, you just you know everybody. And you start to inquire about their situation. I thought maybe he was a widower since he never brought his wife. But I, I asked around and no, sure enough, he had a wife, perfectly healthy. She just stayed home on Sundays. And so uh, I thought, well, gosh, I'm, I'm the new pastor. I'll go call. Uh, I'll see what's up. Why doesn't she come to church? Maybe somebody, as, as usually happens in the church, somebody offended her or, you know, uh, said something uh, un, not thinking. Uh, so so I, I, I went anticipating meeting a very angry woman. Um, and, and so I knocked on the door. She answers the door. And she just, this smile spreads over her face. She says, Oh, Reverend Hunter, I'm so glad to see you. Come on in. I just wanted to get to know you. This is the greatest thing. Sit down. So I sat down in the parlor. She says, I just, oh, this just, oh, we could just be great friends now. And she just said, she just started talking and, and, and just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. And I was looking at this woman just waiting for just some pause, some, <laughs> some break. You know how you want to, you don't want to get in the conversation and kind of, you know, and I'm, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm thinking, where, where does this woman breathe? She's got to be breathing through her ears because she is not taking a breath. It's the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen in my life. And so, and, and so she, had, she talked straight for an hour. I, I couldn't tell when she ever took a breath. And so I'm thinking, next to the thing, how am I going to get out of here? This is, and it just, so after two hours, she has talked for two hours. I just get up in the middle of this conversation. I start backing toward the door. Thanks. Nice to meet you. I'm talking over her talk. And, and see you later. And you be sure and come to church. Glad to have you. And I'm out of there. And I thought, that's the weirdest thing I've ever done in my life. So, 
what I did is I went to an older pastor. I always, I always kind of make sure I had somebody with some experience and wisdom there. And I, and I went to this older pastor that I really uh, uh, um, uh, respected. I said, Jack, I've just had the weirdest. I have met the loneliest woman in the whole world. I have met the woman who wants closeness and intimacy more than anybody I've ever met in my life. Well, he looked at me and said, how you know? And I told him the experience. I said, I, I didn't get two steps in that door until this woman talking, dog, 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 dog. And I said, have you ever heard of anybody who wanted to be uh, more, uh, wanted intimacy worse than that? And he got this, I could tell, he got this grin over, you know, I, I could tell the grin. The grin is, Hunter, you're an idiot grin. <laughs> I said, what? You know, I got this grin. He said, what? He said, you don't get it, do you? I said, what? He said, she didn't want intimacy. I said, what do you mean? He said, don't you see that as long as she's talking, she controls the conversation. As long as she's talking, she didn't have to get close to you. As long as she holds the floor, you won't be able to ask her any questions personally. She won't have to ask any questions about you and get to know you. Her talking is a way of keeping her distance. Oh, I'd never heard anything so brilliant in my life. But you know what? You know what I've noticed about Christians? We do the same thing. When you pray to God, who's talking? And when you're done talking, what happens? You just get up and go about your business. Does that engender closeness to God? I mean, when you want to get close to God, what do you do? You go out and do something. I'm doing it. Look what I'm doing for you. Do you ever watch what he's doing? Do you ever focus in on what he's doing? You see, you see the difference? The life of faith says, God, I expect to hear from you. I expect to see you. I expect to praise you. I expect for your movement in, 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 in the world to be mightier than anything I could ever do. Becky and I just went this week to New York, first time. I went with a couple of friends who used to live there so they could, they could show us around. I, I mean, New York. Oh, my goodness. I felt like, I felt like Barney Fife. I mean, I did. I, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, I've lived in fairly sizable cities most of my life, but New York, I mean, everything's big, Empire State Building, and Grand Central Station, everything's huge. The plays are wonderful. The food's great. The stores, I mean, going to, you're going to Tiff, Tiff, Tiffany's, $480,000 diamond ring. What's up with that? Who needs that? I mean, it's like, holy cow, it's like a bigger than my car. It's just huge. Well, I just, I just got an idea here of, you know, you, you think you're, you, well, I live in Orlando, city of almost a million. <laughs> you know, you go to New York, go, <laughs> you know, and, and, and the churches, St. Patrick's, St. Thomas Episcopal Church. I mean, the wind, the sting, the, the, the statues, the, the, the granite. The, the. We got two real nice banners at our place. <laughs> you know? I mean, you just, you think you're stuffed till you see the stuff. And, and, and it's kind of like that with God. I mean, it's really like that with God. You think, 
you think, well, God, everything I could do for you. This, this is just really great. And then, you, and then you, the first time you see what he's doing that you couldn't possibly do, you go, <laughs> okay, all right, so you can do stuff I can't do. Okay. <laughs> then you get the idea. Sacred knowledge is not about the content in your head. Sacred knowledge is when you understand God does things we can only watch. We can, we can go along with it, but we can only watch it. We can only, we can only touch the hem of the garment. And you know what? That's enough. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the difference between a religious person and somebody with faith. Somebody who wants to praise God instead of somebody who wants to be the center of the universe. Somebody who wants to know God instead of somebody who wants to know everything. That's the difference. And that's what God calls us to be. When it comes to how do we, how do we operate in our ministry? You know, there's really only a few simple things we really need to know. You need to know God's sovereign. You need to know that he arranges, as Vernon says, the big stuff. A bottom line is drawn across the ages, and God has prearranged things with such a precision that we can never make him ungod. <laughs> All we can do is either see it or not. And if we think that our attempts at outlining the contents of this book are enough to see God. We're wrong. I mean, there were faithful Jews that read about the predictions of the Messiah for hundreds of years. And because they analyzed the words more than watch for the movement, they missed it. Now think of this. There are 300 prophecies about the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. 300 prophecies. The statistical chances for any one person to fulfill just eight of those prophecies is 10 to the 17th power. Let me give you a word picture. Let me give you a picture of that that's drawn out of uh, evidence that demands a verdict. That is essentially like putting silver dollars a foot deep across the entire state of Texas painting one of those silver dollars green, blindfolding someone and saying to him, take off and walk as far as you want for as many days as you want, and whenever you feel like it, you stoop down, dig in the pile, and pull out a silver dollar. And the chances that he or she would pull out that green silver dollar is roughly 10 to the 17th power. Jesus didn't answer just eight of those prophecies. He matched all 300 of them. And they missed him. Why? Because they were analyzing their own theology instead of looking for the power of God. God has promised great things in your life. God has promised to answer prayer. Are you watching? Are we watching? When it comes to our relationships, we can't set the agenda. We have to, we have to, the relationship, the, the agenda has to come out of the relationship. I mean, nobody walks in to a marriage. If you walk into a marriage and you unilaterally say what a good husband is going to be, man, have you just missed the boat. 
Because you've got to hear from your wife what a good husband is. You understand? If you've just, if we as a distributed church go out and we say, this is what we've made and this is what we're going to give you, then we have just missed the boat, haven't we? Because it's only what we do with each other that really has a value to each party. Don't you understand it's just like that with God? It's only those things that, that we cooperate with God. Only those things that we see Him do, we say, yay, God. Yes, our job is to, is to pray. Yes, our job is to do whatever we can do that we know to do. Yes, our job is to stay moral. Of course it is. Because if you don't, you shoot yourself in the foot. You're miserable. But our main job down here is the job of faith. To look for the mighty acts of God. He is still performing acts day after day. To pray and watch for Him to move. One day when I was living in Indiana, a long time ago, um, up there when it snows and the ice gets on the bridges, sometimes cars slide off. And, uh, and that's exactly what had happened. I was, I was uh, coming up over a bridge and I saw this car that had slidden off and somebody had called for a tow truck. And this tow truck was just pulling this car. Nobody was hurt, but it was just car tow truck was pulling the car out of the ditch. And this little kid, <laughs> part of the family, couldn't resist running up, getting by the back bumper of that car, and helping that tow truck push that car out of that ditch. I like that. Because that looks a lot like what we do for God. And it's good. It's just in the right perspective when you see it like that. Pray with me. God, help us to know that sacred knowledge is not having all the answers. Sacred knowledge is seeing all your power and all your goodness and experiencing your gifts to us many times before we even receive them. Help us, dear Lord, to, to receive that faith from you that will open our eyes to what you are providing, to how you are moving in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. And if a prayer team would come forward... Um, Every Sunday we say, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior yet, here's an opportunity. Now, if you notice, this was not an evangelism sermon. But you'll also understand God doesn't need an evangelism sermon. If He's moving in your heart, you be obedient. You come down, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If there's any doubt in your mind whether or not you're saved, the answer is you aren't. But you can settle that matter today. And have the assurance of everlasting life with Christ. But also have the faith that's needed to see the movement of God down here. You can't see the things with God with natural eyes. You've, they've got to be spiritual insights. And so that's what comes with this salvation experience. Also, there are some of you who, who've just been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying at something. And, and, and this morning you just said, you know what, I can't do this. God's got to do this. And so you want somebody to just come down, or you want to come down and just stand with somebody and say, let's just pray God will do this, because otherwise it ain't going to get done. 
Good for you. That's a tremendous insight. So if you want to pray with somebody about something like that this morning, they are available to you. Now let's have this firm again um, um, question from the Heidelberg Catechism. This is question 28. And let me uh, read to you uh, the leader part and then we'll all say the congregation part. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from His love. All creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will they can neither move nor be moved. Let's go out this week and move according to His will. Watch for Him and then praise Him when we see Him move. Amen.